I want to read something from a great book that uh, I highly recommend. Um, the book is Share Jesus Without Fear. And uh, this is a book I highly recommend. I think every believer in Christ should read this at least once. Uh, just very, very practical uh, insight about how to share your faith, how to go about evangelism, and uh, to do it with boldness and with courage. And this is uh, what I wanted to share with you from this book, and just this one part today. The author, William Fay, says this, Watch out for the signs of a dying Christian life. Ask yourself, am I sharing my faith? Do I have only Christian friends? Do I hang around the dead, the diseased, and the lost? If you and the members of your church have forsaken your duty to reach back into the world, I can promise you your church will start to divide, to backbite, and to fight over non-essential Christian issues like hymnal selection and carpet collars. You will become keepers of a Christian aquarium instead of fishers of men. Your church will be on the way to spiritual death. Pretty hard-hitting, but absolutely true and important to remember. That, that reminder that I just shared with you really goes right along with everything that we have talked about for the last few weeks in our series here, The Missionary God, as we have tried to challenge ourselves to be what we are called to be as Christians and to reflect the heart and character of our missionary God. That we see at the very beginning of history and all the way through. Uh, we, we're trying to model that, to live that out. Um, what we're called to be is bearers of a message. And the message is the message of reconciliation. We talked about that a couple weeks ago in the series that we've been doing. That the missionary's message, above all other things, is the message of reconciliation. That reconciliation is possible. That what was broken in the garden has been able to be restored through the work of Christ. And as we have been reconciled, as we have heard that message ourselves, as we've received that, we're then made and called to go out and bear that message to others that have yet to be reconciled. And this message of reconciliation, church, it really is our mandate there's no question or option about whether or not you need to fulfill that and need to carry that out, need to proclaim it. There's no question to it. The answer is yes. If you're a believer in Christ, this is your mandate, the message of reconciliation. And we're all called as Christians to proclaim that message, to verbally proclaim it, to speak the gospel to people, and to live it out before the lost, in such a way that at some point, as we deal with the lost in and out of our normal rhythms of life and normal situations, as well as deliberate and intentional times, that at some point in our interaction with the lost, they will have to ask us 
Something similar to what the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? We need to proclaim the gospel and live it out in such a way that that is an unavoidable question for the lost. That at some point, they will just have to ask us that. What must I do to have what you have? What must I do to be saved? And the answer for that, the answer for that is very clearly laid out in what Paul has to say in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and uh, beginning in verse 9, he says this, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And verse 13 goes further with that and explains why that's able to happen. Why that's sufficient for salvation. Verse 13, he says this, For everyone, and isn't that a great word, everyone? Isn't that wonderful to know that this salvation, this great salvation that we all need, is available not just to a certain select few, not just to an elite group of people, it's available to all of humanity. No matter how dark your past is, no matter how full of incredible wickedness your personal resume may be, no matter how far you've been from God, nothing is going to keep you from being able to know reconciliation in and through Jesus Christ. It's available to everyone, period. That's good news. That's what makes the good news such good news, is it's available for everyone. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, will be saved. That's our message. That's the mandate that is before every single believer in Christ. Here is, though, our responsibility. Here's the weight that comes on us in bearing that message. Here's what's at stake. In the next couple verses, the Apostle Paul poses some pretty important questions for us to think about and for us to consider And it shows the implication of us failing to fulfill the great commission that we've all been given. If we don't exercise our responsibility, here's the sad reality for the people that need to hear what we have to say. If we don't communicate that, here's what's at stake. Verse 14, he says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Pretty good question, right? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, that's not just someone like me, an actual pastor. This means announcing, proclaiming. This, this is something that every Christian is to do, whether they are officially a pastor or not. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been made a messenger of hope. You've been made a messenger of life. You've been made a messenger of truth. You've been made a messenger of the gospel. And so every believer is to be proclaiming and announcing and shouting out the message of salvation. So he says, how are they to hear without someone, that's you, And me, someone preaching. Verse 15. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. My fellow believer in Christ, we have the good news of the only cure for the terminal disease that every human being is born into. Everyone born is born into death. Everyone coming into life comes into a living death. And it's terminal. And it's complete. And there's no hope in and of ourselves of addressing that issue and that problem. It's only found in the gospel. It's only found in what Jesus Christ has already done. It's not like we even have to pay for this remedy or pay for this cure. It's already been paid for us. What is asked of us is to be faithful in broadcasting and in pointing people to that remedy that we've already received. It was already paid for for us, and it's paid for for them. So we need to be pointing people to it and announcing it and and showing it and bringing people to it. Because everyone, whether they admit it or not, whether they even fully understand it or not, everyone is looking for relief from the madness of life and of this world and from the hopelessness that sin induces. Everyone is. Everyone is looking for remedy. Everyone's looking for some way of filling this vacuum that is in every human heart. And if you don't find it in Christ, you're going to keep looking. And you're you're going to keep searching. Hopelessly. Aimlessly. And you're going to try to fill your life with something to try to numb and dull the agony of your lost state. That's true of everyone. We who come to Christ, we're no better than those people. Nothing has made us suddenly superior to them. The only difference is that by God's grace, we have been awakened to the reality of remedy in Christ alone. And as we have been awakened to that, then we go back into the world we were part of and say, hey, let me show you what I found. Let me give you the hope that I have been given. Let me show you how you can find a true, everlasting cure for the disease of sin and self. That's what is on us. That's that's our responsibility. That's what we all have to own and step into. That's the responsibility we have. And that's what's at stake for everyone else if we don't. Is that they will never hear about the one they need to believe in for their salvation. They just won't hear about him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But you have to actually proclaim that word. You actually have to give that word. Announce it. Live it out. And so much is at stake if we fail to. So we have the good news, the good news of the only cure for the terminal disease that every human is born with. But here's the thing, church. We have to climb down out of our comfortable castles and we have to open our fortified gates to meet them where they're at and to invite them into where we are for us to give it to them. That remedy that we have, that we know, The only cure that we have received ourselves by grace through faith. We have to come down out of our our comfortable palaces. We have to leave our comfort zones. 
We have to go where, yeah, it's going to be messy. It's not always going to be predictable. It's not always going to fit into a nice little package and box. We have to be willing to get a little dirty. And we should be very willing to do it because, after all, that's what our Savior did for us. He left the perfection of heaven. Remember that. Don't forget that. He left a perfect environment. He left endless worship from perfect beings. And he left an eternity of fellowship and companionship and partnership with his Father that we couldn't even imagine. He he left all of that to come into a world that he knew would reject him, that he knew would put him on the cross. That was his primary mission, the cross. And he did all that for us, knowing that even after receiving him, we would still daily choose the sin that he died for. He left his castle to come to the cold darkness of a sin-filled world. He did it out of love, and he did it for you, and he did it for me. Why and how could we be willing to do anything less? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. What are we willing to do? Are we willing to come out of our comfort and come out of our, our nice, strong castles that we've built up to keep ourselves nice and safe? Are we willing to leave the environment that we've worked so hard to, to keep airtight? Willing to leave that and go where the sick actually are? And to take them the, the cure that they need, the only cure that's possible that we've been graciously given? It's a question that's before every one of us. And as we do that, as we decide, yes, I am willing to do that. Yes, I know I need to do that. Yes, I know that's the calling on my life as a Christian. As we do that, it's really important that we have the right approach and the right perspective. You see, because the Christian's mission that we all have, the Christian's mission is to proclaim God's provision of new life. That's what's on us. We have to proclaim that. But it's very important to remember, He always does the work of applying it. We have the responsibility... We have the mission to proclaim the good news of God's provision already paid for, already made available in and through the person and the work of Christ. We proclaim that. But it's always God that does the supernatural, miraculous work of applying that new life to the person, to the heart, to the soul, to the mind. Life change only happens through the work of God. We need to remember that and keep that in mind as we go about proclaiming this great message. And we see that on display beautifully, perfectly in uh, the Apostle Paul, the way he went about it. Uh, He gave us a great pattern to follow. And I want you to, to capture his mindset, his attitude, his approach as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, beginning in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And verse 1, and uh, we'll go to verse 5 here uh, at, the, at the moment. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Notice his approach to evangelism. No, notice how he went about proclaiming this message. What he made sure was true of how he went about that. When I came to you, he says, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, 
which is the message of Christ, that's the gospel, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In other words, I kept it really simple. I didn't try to make it harder than it needed to be. I didn't try to give you all these flowery words and and high lofty ideals and, and concepts. I just kept it very simple and very basic. I majored on the major, is what he's saying. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because that's the only way true life occurs. That's the only way life change happens. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. So there's good news for us, right? As we broach the subject of the gospel with people, especially those that we don't know, it's intimidating. It is. It's nerve-wracking. It's awkward. It's scary. Don't, don't let anybody try to tell you it's not. I mean, there's no reason to try to sugarcoat the reality. It's going to be scary. Okay? And the Apostle Paul, I mean, if, <laughs> if it's true of Paul, if he felt that, we can be okay feeling that too. He said, I came to you with weakness and fear and much trembling. But that didn't stop him. He, he pressed on anyway. My speech, verse 4, and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. I wasn't trying to sell you anything. This wasn't Paul the used car salesman. This was just Paul the apostle with the simple and yet absolutely powerful message of, of the gospel. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's the approach to take. That's the right mindset. And then uh, in chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, the same concept as far as knowing it's not about us. You know, It's not us that changes the life. It's not us that saves anyone. We're the messengers, we're the the tools, we're the instrument, we're we're the method that God uses to broadcast His message and His work of the gospel. Notice what he says, verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 3. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, what that means is, neither the one who plants initially sows that that first seed of the gospel message, the person that initially proclaims the gospel to someone, that's the planting, and then someone else will come along if they don't accept and receive right then and there, that's okay. We don't need to despair if immediately after proclaiming the gospel to someone that they don't receive the gospel right then and there. It's okay, because you've planted. And if they haven't received right then and there, we need to trust that God is able to send someone else along to add to what we started. right? And here's what happens when that takes place. We have to remember, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. So, as I plant and as you plant, or as I plant and maybe you come along and water or vice versa, it really doesn't matter at all who did what because 
It all rests on God and His work. And if a life comes to Him, if salvation enters that person, it's all God's doing from start to finish. We just have to be faithful to participate in the proclamation of the message. That's what's on us. And here is the promised future reality as all that happens. As you and I are faithful to be the messengers we're supposed to be, as we own the call that is on our lives, as we step into the reality that is ours, that every Christian, every believer in Christ is a missionary for Christ, and as we go about exercising and applying that, here's the future reality that we can all lay a hold of and draw strength from and encouragement from and hope in and motivation from to keep on going about that work, that proclaiming of the message, that carrying out of the Great Commission. It's such good news. I love what Scripture says here. This is from the Apostle John, the Beloved. And Jesus appears to him. And he says, John, I want you to write down a few things. I'm going to give you a very specific revelation. And I want you to write it down, and I want you to send it out to all the churches so they know at least as much as I want them to know about what they can expect at the end times, the ends of all of the ages, and beyond. I want to peel back the curtain, John, of the future and let you see what's absolutely a reality so that you don't lose heart, so that others around you don't lose heart, and so that you are spurred on to make the most of the time you do have. And after several different fantastic, amazing revelations, as a part of the overall revelation, this is what John writes about in Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, after seeing different events and different things unfolding, he says this, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. That's everybody. That's everywhere. There's no one left out of that. Which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. Oh, that come on. How can you hear that and just say, Amen? No, come on. You're part of this throng. You're part of this multitude, church. If you are in Christ, you will join that multitude one day before the very throne of God where you will be able to stand boldly because of the work of Christ on your behalf and you will join in with that and we will not say, Amen. We will say, Praise God! How about we start now? Let's have a little practice. Good job! That's right! Absolutely! Absolutely! That is the future reality For you and for me and for all of the other people that we intentionally seek out to give the answer for the reason of the hope that we have. 
Oh, church, don't let the enemy rob you of not just your responsibility, which it is, but don't let him rob you of the incredible joy and blessing that it is to be used of God to go out and bring those far from him to him. Don't miss out on that. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let awkwardness get in the way. Think of yourself the way Moses had to end up thinking about himself when he gave God excuse after excuse. When God said, Moses, I want you to go and I want to use you to to confront Pharaoh. And I want to use you as an instrument to bring my people out from under slavery back to me to to know me and to worship me. And he said, I I, I, I just, just can't. I'm slow of speech. That's what he said. And he said, no, no, send someone else. Use Aaron, please. And God said, Moses, who made a mouth? Who made the mouth on a human being? Who gave him his abilities? Who kept abilities from him? Is it not I, the Lord? Don't you think I know about your limitations? Don't you think, Moses, that I'm big enough to go beyond those limitations and use you anyway? Enough. Just go, is what he told Moses, because he kept on going. He said, no, I don't want to hear any more. I want you to go, do what I've called you to do. And Moses, as you go, I will be with your mouth, God said. So Moses had to realize something about himself, that it wasn't about him. (laughs) That he just was to be faithful and to be obedient and to grab hold of what God was giving him to go be a part of. That's what's on us. The same promise for Moses can be applied by us. That God will be with our mouth. He will teach us what we have to say. He'll guide our thoughts. We just have to be faithful. We have to be willing instruments in the hands of a perfect master builder. That's what's on us. Let's seize that opportunity And let's obey that responsibility. Amen? Would you pray with me? If you're here today and you've never actually stepped into the remedy for your sin disease, if you're here today and you've never actually accepted and embraced the cure that is available to you, there's no reason to wait any longer. You don't have to go a second longer without that cure, that remedy for, for all of your sin disease that you're aware of. You, you know, you know you're, you're short of the glory of God. You know you're not measuring up to his standard. And you know that every other place and every other source you've looked for, for fulfillment and satisfaction and hope and joy in your life It's left you empty and it will always leave you empty. Anything apart from Christ will always leave you empty in your search for satisfaction. And today, this moment can be the day of your salvation. If you would just acknowledge to God what he already knows, which is that you are a sinner in need of grace. You're a sinner in need of salvation that's found only in his son Jesus. Just... You and him, just talk to him and say, God, I, I want your salvation. I want to know Jesus as my Savior. 
and my Lord, I want to be given new life today. I want to know hope, and I want to know purpose, and I want to know joy. Please, make me yours right now. And if you, with all sincerity, express that from your heart, the promise that we started off hearing about in the beginning of this message is your promise that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And Christian, if that's something that you've already done, if that's true of you, uh, praise God for it. But don't sit on it. How, how incredibly selfish and heartless it is to keep this remedy and this, this gift to yourself. Ask God to break your heart for the lost and then give you the courage to go out where they are and to proclaim to them what they need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the remedy and the cure that we all need found only in the person of your son. You made it very clear for us. We don't have a lot of different equal opportunities and choices to wade through and sift through and agonize over. Well, which one do I choose? We don't have to do that, Father. You've, you've cleared it all up. You've given us one way to know you, one way to have life in you, one way to be loved by you. It's in your son, Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only one of each. So Father, thank you for making that clear to us. Thank you for all of of us who have, by your work in our lives and by the power of your Spirit, you have called us into that truth. And you've helped us to admit our need. And then your Spirit has applied that new life to us. We who are yours acknowledge that it was never anything on our part. It's been a work from you from start to where we are now, and all the way to completion, that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. We praise you for that. We ask that if there's anyone here that has not yet stepped in to the light of salvation, that today would be the day that they do it. And for those of us who have, help us to be bold and courageous and loving in our witness and in our proclamation of the message that we've already received. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.